Hello, hello, this is Fabrice Guerrier and this is the Fabrice Guerrier Show. I'm so excited to jump back in again and record another episode. And this time I have a treat for you all. I'll be exploring Eastern philosophy and the major ideas of Bruce Lee as it relates to the future. Um, I've, for me in my life, I've always really perceived this intense vision of of that that I want to absorb all types of meaning because in understanding all types of meaning, I become closer to creation. I become more human, I would say. And I think a lot of the problems of our time and especially of the future is a problem of vision. And this vision definitely is created when we are so fragmented in many different facets. I think I can be more human when I let love rise and I can integrate darkness and trauma that lives in my black body. Um, and specifically, I always feel that the East and the West in terms of the philosophies have always been fragmented, where the West is more, more rational and it's much more material and it's much more um, intellectual in the sense that it wants to figure out the answers for how like different frameworks are are defined um, as opposed to the Eastern, which I would say is much more internal. It's almost as if it's like there's this sort of inner flow and it's like, how do you live in alignment with that flow, the flow of nature, the flow of the universe? Um, I think for me, a lot of Eastern religion has like, change my perspective like inside and out um, because it just provided a different way of looking at the world and in a different lens I was able to use in my day-to-day -to, -day to feel much more connected with nature to feel much more connected with uh, people around me but also to be able to be resilient more resilient with pain and suffering because I think there's so much idea so in this episode I'll be exploring how I see um, Eastern philosophy and through the lens of Bruce Lee, um, because I really feel like there is a lot that can be said, as in all of these ideas, you could do an entire season. I think it was, I think a podcast I was listening to, it was um, Bruce Lee's like daughter that had done a podcast about his philosophy. And I think they have seasons of that. So I'm barely scratching the surface, but I'm sort of speaking in the sense of how Eastern religion, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Taoism, has impacted my life. And, and how can you get out? What can you get out of this? Because I think that the inner work, I think we have to reach unification inside of us. And in whatever way that you define unification and to unify ourselves internally, I believe that's the way that we're going to be able to lead the future and be able to create it and be able to, to thrive as a human species because I think a lot of what we see today is this disconnection from nature. Um, Bruce Lee, I think for people who don't know who Bruce Lee is, Bruce Lee was an actor um, who tragically passed away at the age of 32. Um, and he made a lot of like impact in terms of like representation of Asians in Hollywood. And he had a very fierce um, vision around like what he believed could be the solution to some of the modern problems that we face. 
So he was a mixed martial artist and he's influenced me in very, very deeply ways. And I think I chose him to explore next in this podcast because I feel like he is the exemplary vision of reaching a state of awareness that gives us more freedom internally. Um, he also coined a lot of a lot of different ideas that I'll be exploring. One of those are is Jinkudo Chi or Jinkundo. Jinkundo is a sort of a mix of like martial arts, his personal philosophies and some of the ideas that he perceived um, throughout his life. Um, but I would love to begin the the podcast and, and just say this quote that I feel resonates so much with this sort of his philosophy. He says, I feel I have this great creative and spiritual force within me that is greater than faith, greater than ambition, greater than confidence, greater than determination, greater than vision. It is all these combined. Whether it is the Godhead or not, I feel this great force, this untapped power, this dynamic something within me. This feeling defies description. There is no experience with which this feeling may be compared. It is something like a strong emotion mixed with faith, but a lot stronger. <laughs> I love it. I love every word of that because it resonates with me so much because I felt that force inside of me. Um, and I think that force has led me in everything that I do. And I think that every human being has that force inside of them. Um, some people might call it the soul. Other people might call it sort of divine connection. Other people might call it this creative, imaginative force that needs to rise in us in order to see. But I almost feel like it's it even more profound in this because it's sort of a, a when you, once you're aligned with this sort of greater force, it's this inner sense of knowing that you're not necessarily doubting yourself and you're able to deal with your emotion in such a radical way that it it's using all these aspects of yourself so you can grow and you can become more human. And I think you can reach this in your life. This is the time to do it. This is the time of revolution of values that is needed to unfold this new world around us. I fundamentally believe that, that we are at a radically unique, creative period of renaissance in our planet. And I think abundance is the need for us to be able to engage ourselves. So I think in, in this renaissance that needs to be born in this planet, despite the inequities, despite the challenges, I think all of these really our opportunities. Um, and I think a lot of Eastern philosophy shows us that the conflicts and the problems of today is almost as if it's a bamboo that we have to bend with the wind, but not break. Um, Bruce Lee says, when man comes to a conscious vital realization of those great spiritual forces within himself and begins to use those forces in science and business and in life, his progress and the future will be unparalleled. I think that is incredible because you, because a lot of these ideas, if, if any of these ideas, these belief systems, these actions, these values are not used in your personal life, in your personal day-to-day, -day, then it means nothing. 
um, there is an obligation to be able to be an active participant in society to create, to change, to challenge, to push and engage the world. Um, and I think oftentimes we are crippled by a world that keeps pushing on us, as I've said in so much uh, previous episodes. And I really feel like this is a quote that I put on my Facebook for the last uh, even six years. And it's, it's by Lao Tzu. He says, to a mind that is still, the whole universe surrenders. And I think a lot of the, the opportunities and this growth, it stems really in the mind, in our minds. Um, the mind of the heart, the mind of the mind, the mind of the body. I think if we can really still our mind and be in alignment with these natural forces around us, I think that is the power of the Eastern philosophical traditions. And I feel like we do have to create in us this sort of peace that quiets the monkey mind that quiets this sort of addiction that we have to so much media and content and things and people. So I appreciate Eastern philosophy a lot. And I really can't wait to dive in and really explore some of these big ideas that I feel like has impacted me, but also what Bruce Lee thinks about all of this. So these are some of the big ideas I'll be exploring. So. As I said, Jit Kun Jit Kun Do, and and how it connects to Chi, the idea of Chi Chi energy. Um, I think that's such an interesting way of looking at things. As someone that watches a lot of anime, Chi energy is something that I'm so familiar with, uh, as this sort of essential force of energy, this life force that we can use to be able to act and navigate through our life. Um, the second one is the Tao. Uh, it's spelled T-A-O, but it's it's pronounced Tao. And really, it's more so the creative force that governs the universe. Um, the other one is, I'm sure you've heard of it, is the yin and yang. And this idea of this harmonious existence between parts and motions. Um, the other one that I'll look through is um, the idea of Taoism and how Taoism has also shaped me as an individual and what you can learn from those uh, perspectives. Um, next one is on suffering and Buddhism and the Four Noble Truths and how can we engage and dance with suffering? Because I think a lot of people, including me, like we've suffered in silence and, and I think those, those types of suffering don't necessarily lend themselves well to being anchors of the future because I think that as one of the pillars of the future manifesto, I say self-mastery, self-understanding, self-awareness. All of these forces are fundamental to shaping and creating the future that we want. Um, another one I know that everyone's familiar and I want to de de demystify this is Gung Fu. Um, and Gung Fu is not a fighting philosophy. It's more so, it's, it's not necessarily a philosophy, like it's not... Gung Fu is not a, a fighting process. It's more so a philosophy. And it's a, ph a philosophy of self-mastery. Um, the idea of karma, the idea of Zen, the idea of Satori, and then just generally final thoughts around the future. Yeah, I, I really feel that 
Eastern philosophy holds a lot of meaning in terms of just kind of like aligning things. Because I was born in the West. I was born in Haiti. And I think I'm a very Western. Ex as I do have African uh, forces in me, for sure, um, in terms of a culture. But my way of looking at the world and how I think and how I define the world, navigate the world, is very Western. So diving in into Eastern philosophy um, and and has been sort of a fresh um, well of water that's been really nourishing in terms of just sort of reframing my entire way, how I engage my body, how I engage my heart, how I engage my mind. And I think that if you can do that as well with your life in terms of Eastern philosophy, I think you can be better in terms of the growth and the evolution for the the need for us to be that in this time of massive change and revolution and be the renaissance that I envision so much that is happening, but we need to anchor in our souls. Um, so I think the first one, he talks about uh, Jin Kundo as sort of a martial arts that he coined. He was like sort of mixing and matching um, a lot of what he learned growing up uh, from his family. And I think that you can understand it a lot more when you look at Chi. And Chi is really this cosmic energy that is pervading inside of a body. And I think the key thing that you have to understand with Chi as this life force, it's almost as if it's almost a, a life force that gives us awareness, that gives us sharpness, sharpness of mind. Um, it gives us sharpness of mind. It gives us a framework onto which that we can harness ourselves. It's almost as if I can, if, if you don't want to believe in that, this sort of cosmic energy, just believe at it is like you're harnessing your potential. Uh, and I think if you can harness your potential and a lot of it can really bring what you want. Um, Bruce Lee says, you must accept the fact that is, there is no help but self-help. But the same reason I cannot tell you how to gain freedom since freedom exists within you. And it cannot tell you how to gain self-knowledge. While I can tell you what not to do, I cannot tell you what you should do. Since what you would be confining you to a particular approach. Formulas can only be inhibited freedom. Externally dictated prescriptions can only squelch creativity and assure mediocrity. Bear in mind that the freedom that accrues from self-knowledge cannot be acquired through strict adherence to a formula. We do not suddenly become free. We simply are free. So I think a lot of the idea that we are this force already, that we are born per perfect. We're born as loving beings. We're born as creative beings and that we and defining ourselves according to our practice is only going to limit us. So I think this is what I, I, I had said in the other recordings is that this accumulation of belief system, this accumulation of knowledge, there's only so much those definitions and frameworks can do for you because ultimately you have to take the step to be able to understand the path that is not taken. And I think that 
once you can understand that, I think the, this harnessing of your potential becomes more vibrant because he, he starts to differentiate a lot of how the world functions and how previous ideas that have come before us, which I'm doing right now, which is sort of paradoxical, cannot lead us towards our destined truth. And I feel like what he's talking about in terms of Jin Kundo is really, to my understanding of it, um, is, is how do we forge our own path? And how or do we have the creative vision to know that what we seek in seeking, we are already lost and that we have to be, we have to be in the moment. We have to sort of embrace all that we are without the seeking. And even this idea is so challenging for me because as someone that is creative, that is pursuing entrepreneurial endeavors with syllable, that is a writer, is like I'm living within the framework of time and space. It's like I have the company here and I have a vision that it wants to and I want to be able to create the next Warner Brothers or Disney. That is a vision that I have. Um, or even I'm writing books and novels from the first sentence that I create, I want a completely fleshed out novel that has multiple drafts. So it's, it's so, so the idea in a sense is very paradoxical because it's almost as if it's like, I am endlessly seeking to become. I am endlessly seeking to express myself through time and space. But what Bruce Lee talks about, he says that, there is a level of being and presence that is inherent in being human that we should not seek, that we should not pursue, that we should not adore practices and ideologies for us to become what we desire because we are already that thing. So I think that, this, that idea is so beautiful because it, it really, it's like, it's like almost like a nuclear bomb in terms of in terms of the Western framework, because it's so hard to understand. It's like it's already telling you that what you seek and what you desire, you already that thing. And I think again, this idea is so much challenged because when you look at poverty, you look at economic disparity, you look at social conflict, look at historical trauma, you look at all of these complex, protracted systems of of injustice that are plaguing our world, how can we adhere to this philosophy of that we all already perfect as I'm trying to heal? I have this healing process. So I think I think the challenge in terms of understanding how do we harness the chi and how do we practice Jin Kun Do and this idea that we are who what we are is is challenging. But I think if you can get around it, it gives you sort of a restful repose um, because it reminds you that at the end of the day, we're going to die. Um, I think it was Mark Twain that said, I've been dead for billions and billions of years before I was ever born. Why should I worry about it? So I think it's it's almost tapping into this the Tao, the Tao. And I think that's it's a perfect transition into the next thing, because the Tao is sort of the way of nature. It's a creative force that governs the universe. And the Tao is that thing which comes from everything that the universe has created. It's a process 
of which that has created this chi energy. And it says that this idea of the Tao is sort of the way of nature. And how do we be, how do we become in alignment? So I think it's already making the assumption that living in modern society, connecting to technology, uh, being an economic person that's consuming so much, that's already in misalignment. So I, I, I can confidently say that this sort of perspective or belief system almost critiques the modern human, modern mankind, and that clearly we are in misalignment. Look at nature, look at all the things that are happening. So I feel like for me, when I first heard of the Tao, it really like placed a, it, it just, it placed a dissonance in me because it's like, as someone that is always seeking, how can I not seek? How can I not go after what I am pursuing? And how can I reach a point in me internally where I'm sort of connected with everything that has ever been, ever will be, and ever was? Um, and I feel like that is at the center of the Tao. Um, I love this poem. It says, the great Tao flows everywhere. All things are born from it. Yet it doesn't create them. It pours itself into its work, yet it makes no claim. It nourishes infinite worlds, yet it doesn't hold onto them. Since it is merged with all things and hidden in their hearts, it can be called humble. Since all things vanish into it and it alone it endures, it is called great. It isn't aware of its greatness, thus it is truly great. Wow. I think that this is the antithesis of the Western mind. Like, <laughs> I think this poem just sort of summed it up. And I, and I feel like what the poem is, is saying is, is almost saying that this aspect of being and non-being. Um, in the West, we are, we, we are, we exist amongst things. And I think the Tao is almost this force of non-being, non-attachment, non-attachment to our thoughts, non-attachment to nature, non-attachment to our families, non-attachment to our society, our identities, our gender, non-attachment to our historical truths, non-attachment to pretty much anything that we've conceptualized as symbols. And I'll go in an, another um episode that I'll be recording around semiotics and Jacques Derrida and Roland Barthes who talks about this sort of deconstruction of the symbolic structures in us. But I think it connects so greatly here because it's like, I personally feel like if we can reach this point of non-being in us, I think it gives us so much space inside of us to sort of open our vision open our awareness. So it's almost as if it's like, remember, can you remember the first six months you were born? Can you remember the first two years that you were alive? And I feel like a lot of the, that sort of consciousness was being flooded by millions of meaning making, symbolic, cultural, historical conditionings that like saturated our mind into sort of the physical world. So I feel this, the Tao is almost a force 
that is is inherent in all things but it doesn't define all those things um that's what i really love about that it's like it's very mind-bending in terms of like of, of like really thinking about what would it mean if i do not feel so attached to all these things around and I feel like a lot of people might say, they might say that that's sort of nihilism. It, I would beg to differ. That is not nihilism. I think that when you are in alignment with the Tao, it challenges us to feel this deep connection with everything. It's really, truly, it is a connection with everything. It's a connection with the earth, a connection with your brethren's, your connection with your sisters, your connection with the planet, with the sky, with the bird, with your cat, with your neighbors, with everyone. It's just sort of an inherent connection that is not fetishized or constructed based on how society constructs this relationship. It's a connection of non-being. And I think that is where the future flows in. I think a lot of it is very challenging it's extremely challenging to think into the frameworks of the Tao, and i think that's why i love it so much because it challenges our very deep-seated belief system um because our all our lives i feel that most people barely think outside their belief system. Maybe they have two or one belief system. Maybe a major incident happens or maybe they travel across the world. Maybe they befriend um, someone from a different culture or they watch a really great film or read a great book or they have a knack for history. These things open up inside of us that creative space that I keep talking about that renders us more human. And I personally feel that engaging the Tao and like really researching and practicing and thinking about it. I think it's a belief system that can be extremely catalytic in terms of readying you for the, what the future can bring. Um, it's incredible. It's really, really incredible. Um, the next concept is, I would say is like, is the yin and yang. Um, and it, the yin and yang, I feel like is, is really, okay, this is something that Bruce Lee says. He says, the common mistakes of most martial artists identify the forces as yin and yang, as dualistic. But yin and yang is one inseparable force of one unceasing interplay of movement. They are conceived as essentially one. So understanding yin and yang is like closely related to uh, Bruce Lee's famous uh, quote, be like water, that you have to sort of adapt to the situation in anywhere that you navigate in life, whether it's the office space, whether it's a group of friends or whether it's family or whether it's really just navigating society. And I feel like this breaks the duality that our world has so much been so attached to. Um, I think so many times I feel that I meet people and the framework of the world is is based on the binary. It's based on the duality of good and bad, small and big. It's based on the 
something not being something. Um, something not being or being defined in opposition to something else. And I feel like when you think about the yin and yin and how you apply this to your life, it really, again, speaks on the Tao. The Tao is sort of at the center of all of it. It's reaching this point of non-being. So it's like you enter a situation or a conversation or a conflict with someone, but you almost have to, I think the Tao or the yin and yin sort of provides you a framework to humanize where this person's coming from. And maybe this person might be in pain. Maybe this person has gone through deep trauma or something's happening in their lives and they're projecting these ideas. And maybe in understanding the yin and the yang and being like water, it's almost allowing you to not react to things more brashly. It's allowing you to not be in opposition to that person because you as someone that would live ideally in the practice of the Tao, you would know that you and that person are one. Um, again, th these, these thoughts are extremely challenging because as someone who is steeped in social justice and critical theory and, and understand intergenerational trauma and how society is framed, it's not safe for me to be able to like give this deep trust to anyone um, because it might end up in my death, to put it extremely bluntly. So I feel that the paradox of these ideas, the tensions that you one might feel in trying to understand what the yin and yang is and is not, and how do we apply that those philosophies it can really can really create a level of dissonance and i think in, it's in that dissonance it's in that paradox that i think or or soul starts to rise uh lao Tzu says care about what other people think and you will always be their prisoner so i think this is a just different degree of how you can apply the yin and the yang uh, framework um it it, it brings about this idea of self-liberation, um, self-mastery, because I feel like those things are so like pivotal to it. So I think there are there are layers and degrees to to the Tao and how the Tao and the yin and yang and the be like water, all these things can be applied forth. But I also but I feel like the best way to start, which I feel like is the best way to enter this is this idea of self-liberation. First, you got to liberate yourself. You got to be able to use these tools to be able to free yourself from the madness of the world. Um, and it's sort of almost like Neo escaping uh, the cave, escaping the matrix and claiming the powers inside themselves. Um, this is a poem that I, I love and I first read it a few, a while back and, it, and it's by Lao Tzu again. And he says, we join spokes together in a wheel, but it is the center hole that makes the wagon move. We shape clay into a pot, but it is the emptiness inside that holds whatever we want. We hammer wood for a house, but it is the inner space that makes it livable. We work with being, but none being is what we use. Lao Tzu just throws it out of the <laughs> throws the ball out of the park with these ideas. So it's like 
truly how can we see and experience the things that we're not and and the power and sort of the yin and yang is that all truths are but half truths. So in, in engaging a situation and engaging life, there's much more potential and ability to grow in the things that we're not, in the things that we are we don't understand, in the things that give shape to who we are, in the things that I feel can truly uh be that force that's going to move us. So a lot of, I feel this poem talks about like the inner life and the spaces that we don't understand. Those are the things that are going to give us like rise and shape. So I think again, this, this situation when you're in a conflict or in a discussion with someone or a problem, I almost feel that what Lasso is talking about is that you have to almost have the eyes to see the the non-being because it's like in non-being you're able to see the entire whole um in non-being you gain vision to be able to move and navigate and flow like water um so it's a sort of a deep flow of resistance meister Eckhart um says when i was the stream when i was the forest when i was still the field when i was every hoof foot fin and wing when i was the sky itself no one ever asked me did i have a purpose no one ever wondered was there anything i might need for there was nothing i could not love again i think there's a tension here between the because i'm sort of sort of seeing that there are layers to um the Tao, and there are layers to the yin and the yang because it's almost as if it's like there are thresholds of experiences that we can feel and see, understand. And there's stages of evolution in that framework. Um, but essentially, that space of non-being is where it slowly rises. I think first we have to like go in that space of non-being that's in us so we can tap into everything that is and we are that everything that we are. Um, and once we realize that we are that everything that we are, then we have to sort of bring it back into the physical world and like try to fit the pieces and us being already imperfect and also perfect. You see what you see the complexity of this? It's like we are perfect beings in an imperfect world, but we're also imperfect beings in a perfect world. Um, and I feel like playing those sort of interplay on these different forces gives us so much freedom to be able to welcome this unknown future that we so desire. So you start to see the interplay and complexity of this, because I feel like there's layers to there's layers to understanding this. Um, again, I'm going to repeat this a thousand times. There are layers to understanding this because you can intellectualize this and it can serve as an anchor to mold and shape your behaviors in the day to day. But at the end, 
it has to be in the heart. I think the the heart has to learn this. Your heart, your your emotional connection to these ideas and your emotional expression that is seeping with the meaning inside of you. That sort of soup is what we're reaching at for profound change. Um, Lao Tzu says, be soft yet not yielding, be firm yet not hard. He continues, he says, life is a series of natural and spontaneous changes. Don't resist him. That only creates sorrow. Let reality be reality. Let things flow naturally forward in whatever way they like. He says again, stop believing and you will arise. Stop searching and you will see. Stop running away and you will be found. Those ideas are extremely challenging <laughs> for me as someone from the West because it's like, it's literally telling me that I, I need to just kind of like slow down, relax, let nature take its course because everything's going to be all right. And for me, again, like being from a country, um, the Republic of Haiti, the first independent like the first independent black nation, the first modern nation in the planet to abolish slavery. That did not come by relaxation and letting things be. It came through brute force, strategy, action, collaboration, imagination, very proactive force. But what Lao Tzu is saying, and specifically this philosophy, he's saying that there is an even more incredible force that is all around us. And we need to start to tap into that force because that by tapping into that force, there's even greater change that will arise from us wanting to make things be. Because this great force has moves planets. It moves the stars it engages entire ecosystems, the oceans, nature. It shapes mountains into life. It is the water that streams and creates the Grand Canyon. That force is what Lao Tzu is helping us to see. And this is the incredible power of Eastern philosophy and specifically the yin and the yang and the Tao. It's telling us that we have to live in alignment. We have to live in alignment with this great infinite force. Remember the quote that I said in the beginning of the recording? This great spiritual force is inside all of us. Um, I think it's incredible because it challenges so much of our definitions of right and wrong, of what is good and bad, this sort of binary framework. It's it, it's almost as if it's almost a this sort of I, the idea is almost a puzzle piece to something that is so fragmented. Can you imagine how what what would it look like to bring a Western land that is based on knowing truth through material engagement and knowing the answers, and then dancing with the Eastern realities that says we don't need the answers. We are the answers. We don't need to take action because we are everything that has ever been. Um, 
Yeah, I think those two philosophies, those tensions between those two things, I think that's where like we rise as people. That's where the future is born. It's through these conflicts internally that are happening. We shouldn't shy away from it. So I challenge you to explore those ideas. Lee says the yin and yin symbol, there is a white spot on the black spot and a black spot on the white one. This is to illustrate the balance in life for nothing can survive long by going to either extreme. Be it pure yin, which is gentleness, and pure yang, which is firmness. Notice that the stiffness tree is most easily cracked while the bamboo or willow survives by bending with the wind. <laughs> incredible and absolutely incredible. I might even go as far to say that in thinking in this binary way of thinking, it's like the West is this, is the yang, which is firmness based on like matter. And then the ying is more Eastern, which is more gentleness, uh, which is based on just vastness. So how do we bring those two realities together, knowing that those realities are not separate in any possible place? Um, I love Taoism I, because I think Taoism, I think the biggest idea that I've gotten from Taoism is that is this idea of the actionless action. I think for me, that thought process has like shifted the way that I see things because I see So actionless action talks about how if you do something 10,000 times, if you do something 20,000 times, if you do something 50 million times, every time you do something that it, it accumulates this force, it accumulates this force and one might even like parallel this to sort of the chi energy that I was talking about um, and how do you harness things. So I think Taoism is a process of harnessing a, a, that force. So let's say it's it, some writers in the West have also talked about this idea of like the 10,000 hours. Um, you do a habit for you do a habit or you're trying to learn a skill or play the music or do something for 10,000 hours. Then you become an expert. Um, I would say it's along those lines, but I think it goes much more profound in terms of like, like you're engaging the subconscious mind, you're becoming this thing. And the more and the more you're giving yourself to that self, you are bringing forth something more. It's almost as if it's like a river that is increasing in amount or it's an avalanche, I would say. And I feel like that is, is such an incredible framework that has helped me to understand that, yes, there is non-being and so sort of the Tao and that side of Eastern philosophy. But Taoism is more of like a sort of this patience, this minimalist patience with my craft, with my art and being in the moment with it. Because every time I do it, I become better and I grow. Um, I think a lot of what people, I think people are most familiar with Eastern philosophy. They're familiar with Buddhism. Um, and, and at the center of Buddhism is the idea of suffering. Uh, and, and what it says is that suffering is part of our existence. Um, and 
and desire is is fundamental to that suffering. It's almost as if suffering is part of our way of thinking. I love this quote. Not sure who it's by, but I, I collect quotes everywhere. And it said this, it was sort of defining compassion. And it said, co, C-O, means with or together. Passion from the Latin word patir means to suffer. The root of suffering is desire. Desire leads to suffering by its nature. Desire is the inherent nature of humanity. We desire another to be able to live. From the moment we take our first breath, we desire air. The first pangs of hunger, we desire food. From the first embrace, we desire touch. To desire is human. To be human is to have experienced suffering of some kind. When those desires are not met, enlightenment is not the removal of pain, but the incredible ability to be with pain. Compassion, with or together with suffering. And the only way that it is done is to the heart. And love transcends the mind's understanding of this human experience of pain into living compassion. I love that. I think that sums up a lot of the Buddhist framework of like being in the moment and practicing mindfulness. Because I think as much as we want to talk about non-being, and I think that's my criticism with a lot of Buddhism today, is that you're so detached. To the world you're like you want to go in the mountain and you want to separate yourself from society you want to separate yourself from the traumas and the pain and the horrors but i feel like for me when i, I take i take hold of a very much more proactive buddhism as like the world is my spiritual gymnastic and whatever i feel and engage in the pain that i seek those are truly wisdom that i can grow from um so the Bud Buddhism specifically talks about the Four Noble Truths. And the Four Noble Truths came from the Buddha, who was this enlightened being that underwent, it was a prince, and I might get this wrong, but he was a prince that left his home and he wanted to experience the world. And on his journey across like his like kingdom, he saw a lot of like a lot of these things that he was sort of se separated for. And he, he defined him as the four noble truths. He says the noble truth of suffering, the noble truth of the origin of suffering, the noble truth of the cessation of suffering and the noble truth of the way leading to the cessation of suffering, the noble eighth path. And I want to read this a little bit for you because I think, again, these ideas, I'm barely scratching the surface and people have done entire PhDs and there's different like layers and degrees to all of these in terms of the practice. But I feel like Buddhism for me has framed a, a worldview in me that has caused more peace in my life. Um, and I think with that peace, you are able to embrace suffering to the fullest without any remorse and without any regret. So it says that, so I'm, I'm just going to read this. So dukkha mean, it means suffering exists. Life is suffering. Suffering is real and it's almost universal. And suffering has many causes such as loss, sickness, pain, failure, and the impermanence of pleasure. All of these are going to cause suffering. Um, and now the causes of the suffering, samudaya, is like this the suffering is is due to the attachment 
It is the desire to have and control things. It can take many forms and craving of sensual pleasures, desire for fame, desire to avoid unpleasant sensation like fear, anger, and jealousy. So it starts to really break down like how does suffering rise in us? And why are we in endless pain and suffering and in endless anger and anguish and trauma? I think the Buddhist has the Buddhism has brings such a unique way of looking at these things. First, the impermanence, the sickness, the loss, and the pain and the failure, these cause suffering. But the cause of suffering itself is the attachment to the desires that rises from the lack and the separation that is experienced from the desire that we have. Um, the next concept is niroda, and it's the end, is there is an end to suffering. It says attachment can be overcome. Suffering ceases, which is the final liberation of nirvana. The mind experiences complete freedom, liberation, and non-attachment. It's letting go of any desire and craving. Again, I think a lot of you might think that this is sort of nihilistic, and I do have a lot of pushback with um, a lot of supposed Buddhists that I meet in my life. I feel like there, this idea of non-attachment or non-being has almost caused a sort of acceptance of the injustices of our planet, whether it's climate change, whether it's racism, whether it's like sexism, all these different things that are happening. I think there is a pushback that I have around this idea of non-attachment. So I feel like it's much more profound than what a lot of people who practice non-attachment, which is like, okay, I'm going to sit there, meditate and not worry about what's happening in the world. I think that's the one way to go about it. You might disagree, but I that's sort of what I perceive. And and I feel like this sort of this idea of of ending suffering is such more of a profound, more intimate experience internally. It's it doesn't happen in the mind. Again, it doesn't happen in the mind. I think first in the true battle is has to happen in the the heart's imagination. Um Yes, our mind can conceive it, but I think our minds are only vehicles or, or almost they're chariots that needs to carry us down to our hearts where we're able to really wrestle profoundly with these ideas. Because I think this idea of letting go of any desires or cravings is, does not mean not caring for these things. But I think it's so, sort of a profound integration of knowing that in non-being and being everything that has ever been, ever will be omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient force inside of us, we have access to fulfill and quench this, these desires that we have. I know in one episode I talked about Nietzsche and, and the power of the will which I feel like the will to power as a concept. And when you look at Buddhism and, and, um, and non-being, those ideas clash radically. But I think it's in the clashing because we have to create an ecosystem inside of us, at least for me. I feel like this is the human of the future. Um, so this letting go of desire or the cravings and reaching that complete freedom is this sort of inner knowing in our hearts that 
that connection that we are with this grain of sand or with the wind or with the water that we drink, everything, we are that thing already. So, but again, we are biological creatures and our biology is always going to take hold of the things that we do. So I think, yes, we can use the mind to comprehend these concepts, but at the end of the day, a lot of it has to do with a practice, a practice of, of being present with those practice and integrating these ideas. So it's like, in like traditions, they always talk about the three brains, the mind, the body, and the heart. And I think all of these are the three brains. And for me, the way that I understand it is like, yes, you have to understand in, in, the, in the mind. You have to profoundly understand it in the heart, which I think is the most important one. And you also have to understand it in your body because on a biological level, you have forces that are in us that are preventing us from reaching the state of liberation. On the last one is MAGA, not the Trump MAGA. <laughs> It's uh, MAGA is spelled M-A-G-G-A. And I'll post some of the notes online as well. It says, in order to end suffering, you must follow the eightfold path. There is a path for accomplishing this. So I will stop there with those specific four noble truths. Because I think that I want you, if you're curious enough, if you're moved to research more, I feel like... Those ideas can be so catalytic um, and then they're very complex. They're not like easy ideas to understand, nor do I claim that I understand. I think this is sort of like this journey for me that I've gone by sheer sort of curiosity around what that specific belief system has been and, and how can it contribute to my life. And I can gladly say that Buddhism has transformed the way that I view the world. Um, absolutely. And it really has. So the next big idea that I want to talk about is Gung Fu. And Gung Fu, a lot of a lot of people, when I think Gung Fu, they immediately think of like the fighting and the action and the, 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 uh, the sort of visceral way of things. But Bruce Lee says Gung Fu is a philosophy. It's an integral part of the philosophies of Taoism. In Buddhism, the ideals of giving with adversity, to bending slightly and then spring up stronger than before, to have patience in all things, to profit by one's mistake and lessons in life. There are many cited aspects to the art of Gung Fu. It teaches the way to live as well as the way to protect oneself. It says that the Gung Fu's Authentic Chinese translation means sort of a sense of total achievement or accomplishment. So I, I really feel that this idea is like is is I it's again it's one of the pillars of the of the future manifesto. It it's the idea of mastery, self mastery, um, and and it's yeah it's connected to the Taoism. It's connected to the Tao. It's connected to the Yin and the Yang. All of these things are connected, but I feel like Gung Fu specifically is is a practice that is um, this is what Bruce this is what Bruce said. Bruce says Gung Fu is practiced not only for health and self protection, but for cultivation of the mind as well. 
Kung Fu was used by Taoist priests and Chinese monks as a philosophy or a way of thinking in which the ideals of giving with adversity, then bending slightly and then spring up stronger than before are practiced. The qualities of patience and profiting from one's mistakes are part of the discipline of Kung Fu. So I feel like what you can really start to see is that there is an evolution of some of these ideas. It's like one might think that the Tao and engaging the Tao is it's just sort of like non-attachment. I'm not going to do anything in my life. But I think those sort of mixed martial arts really provides you the tools to not only harness like the tremendous potential that we have inside of us. Because being human, again, the foundation of being human, as the Buddha would say, is to suffer. Suffering is all around us. Suffering is in people disappointing us always and every time. Suffering is in, in our ability to dream instantaneously and that dream not being here in the physical world. So suffering is all around us, but how do we navigate through suffering? And I think the Eastern philosophy gives us a framework to engage suffering in a creative way. Engage suffering in a way that we can start to like build our potential um, and, and be disciplined to get that potential. I think all of these things are so incredible because it's like, it's just such a different way of thinking. Um, it really is. It's it's a very, very, very different way of thinking um, in a way that like to build resilience with life. They don't teach you this in school, nor did they teach you this in like job work. It, it's, it's unfortunate that you have to seek this out yourself because I feel like there's so many beautiful, like canonical ideas that I feel can shape the future for the better. If we nest them, if we engage them, we put them together, we put those two ideas in this inner room, a room inside of you, put those two ideas, three or four or five ideas and see what happens. I think that that tension will be great um, because you will learn so much from that. I love this sort of story. Um, it talks about so it talks about like Zen and what Zen is and Zen Buddhism. It kind of moves more closely to that. It says, it was obvious to the master from the start of the conversation that the professor was not so much interested in learning about Zen as he was impressing the master with his own opinions and knowledge. So he was just kind of like people in a coffee shop and there's just like, the professor is just like from the West and he's talking about all these great ideas. Oh, this is what it is. He's trying to show kids that he's smart and he can like do an intellectual sort of battle with the with the Zen master. And it says, and, and as the Zen teacher explained, the learned men would frequently interrupt him with remarks. Oh, yes, we have that too. And so finally, the Zen teacher stopped talking and began to serve tea to the learned man. He poured the cup full, then kept pouring until the cup overflowed. Enough, the learned man said, once, once more interrupted. The cup is over full, overflowing, and no more will go in. Indeed, I see, the Zen teacher said, like this cup, you are full of your own opinions and speculations. If you do not first empty your cup, how can you taste my cup of tea? 
I love that. I really do love that. Because I feel like this is the West. Like that, like that is the definition of the West. Because people feel that knowing everything about history, knowing everything about um facts and 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 philosophies and ideas is almost this like it's almost it i think the challenge is that i feel like i've met so many people who know so much yet like emotionally like their growth is stunted it's almost as if like the ideas and the meaning and the intellect has has overpowered the creative soul potential of that human being and i think the idea of zen here is like how do you empty your cup because we're so full with so much excuse my language so much shit literally we're full with a lot a lot of crap and i think we think we 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 confuse knowledge for wisdom we confuse knowledge for wisdom and i think when we confuse knowledge for wisdom we are more, much less in tune with the Tao. We are less in tune with really understanding and perceiving like how change moves through us. How change is this sort of foundational frequency of our existence. I think that is the biggest problem in, in, our, in, our, like, in our reality. It really is. We have so many people that are so learned, yet look what we have right now today in our society. We we have people who are living in misalignment. A lot of misalignment. And, and I don't really know what to do. And I think that that's the power of Eastern philosophy. I think there are limits to the Western mind. And I think what we're seeing is the decay of the Western mind. I have an article in my column that talks about the decay of the of the West. And, and, and I fully believe that we are at a sort of such a precipice in our society when these grandiose ideas that we embrace so much are just no longer working. It's outdated. And I think I've said this pretty much in every episode. And I feel like what Zen has to bring here is like how can you in your day-to-day really start to empty yourself can you live in a space of non-being where you know that you are everything that you are and this non-being is facilitating more empathy more shared understanding with people who are so different than you who feel different than you who expresses themselves different than you we're so quick to defend our ideas we're so quick to defend ourselves we're so quick to to really like and i'm not saying that i'm immune to this <laughs> i think i definitely get into go old bad habits whether if, if i go back to family or old friends or things are happening where i'm like super tired like I revert back to these ways of self-defense. And I feel like a lot of the problem of our modern time is that we're so filled with ideas that are just 
ideas. They, those ideas don't bring wisdom to us anymore. They don't fill the soul with meaning. And we're not taught to undo with those ideas. We're not taught to like throw away our belief systems. It's like we're living in a time now, if like if everyone were to remove their belief systems, it's like we would be in a state of, of crisis and nihilism. And I think this is what's happening in the world today is that most people in the world only have one belief system and one worldview or two worldviews. And most of that worldview and belief system has been injected like a syringe onto their minds by their schooling, by their society, by history, by their intellect. And, and we know by this entire sort of presentation and talk around Eastern philosophy and how it relates to the future, we know that there is an element of non-being that the West lacks because right now we are unable to see that things need to change and that we are that change, that things need to evolve, that we are that evolution. We have lost agency. We have lost the ability to trust ourselves that we can create that change that we seek, that we in our communities can create a form of newness that we have not seen before. So when the world around us is decaying and that decay, and when I use the word decay, I'm not using it in such a negative turn again. If you believe that anytime I had said the word decay, again, that is the Western definition of decay. Decay, when you look at nature and decaying, decaying is this sort of renewal. Like, for example, mushrooms in the forest. When things are decaying, it's sort of a rebirth. When things are going back into the planet and there's newness being born. So I think that it begets and behooves us not to explore other ideas truly so this is just it's it's incredible these things it, this is what um bruce Lee says he says to change with change is a changeless state again this connects back to the tao this connects back to taoism this connects back to this the aspects of non-being it connects back to every single fabric of ideas that I've talked about around Gung Fu, around the idea that we have to harness this force inside of us. Kuan Yi, the goddess of mercy, is sometimes represented with up to a thousand arms, each holding a different instrument. If her mind stops with the use, for instance, of her spear, all the other arms 999 will be of no use whatsoever. It is only because of her mind not stopping with the use of one arm, but moving one instrument to another that all her arm prove useful with the utmost degree of efficiency. Thus, the figure is meant to demonstrate that with the ultimate, when the ultimate truth is realized, even as many as a thousand arms on one body, may each be serv serviceable in one way or another. There's so many layers to this, this uh, 
this uh, passage. I think first, I would even claim that each of these arms are the belief systems, the ideas that we need to sort of embrace and claim in us more and more and more. We need to be ang- hungry, not angry. We also need to be angry, but we need to be hungry for new ideas. And for us to profoundly engage the, those, those, this sort of space that the Buddha talks about, he talks about this idea of, of niroda, the end of suffering, this idea of experiencing complete freedom, this idea of, of letting go of these desires. I think like a lot of these things, like we have to, it has to be like, it has to be felt like in so many different aspects of ourselves. So like in our seeking to learn more things, especially in the West, like we cannot learn more things, truly and profoundly learn more things using the minds of the heart, using our psychological mind, using our physical body to learn and practice. We cannot do that if our cup is filled. Are you willing to put aside your belief systems, your ideas, your dogma, if I may so claim that. Can you do that? I think that's the challenge that we are called to when we are engaging these ideas. Um, two ideas that I want to just briefly mention are um, karma, the idea of karma. And I think a lot of people know karma. It's pretty self-explanatory. But I, I feel like karma provides a very a sidekick moral framework for engaging in society. Um, for me, the way that I use karma is just to remind me that I have to set my intentions right. Like if my intention, if I think what karma essentially, for me, how I see it, if karma essentially frames is that beyond every intention and action, no, behind behind every action, your intention is what energetically holds the most weight. So if you do an, an action and you do something and your intention is ill intent or quote unquote, not honoring this idea that none being that I'm connected with the earth, the planet, everyone that has ever been, I am that thing and those people, if it's in misalignment and even worse, if it's like pushing against the opposite or in that firmness of that yang, it will come back to get you. <laughs> it will come back and you will receive that flow. And I feel like I love that because it is a sort of moral structure. Um, it, it, it's sort of a more proactive, uh, uh, the golden rule do unto others as you wouldn't do, you wouldn't otherwise want to be done to you. Um, so I think karma is a, such a beautiful little snippet thing that is always there because it's like, as human, I know I'm imperfect. I might do certain actions and my intention might not be the right intention. It might be the right action, but because it's not the right intention, 
and I don't really mean it, that action doesn't even matter. Again, that happens because our cup is full. The cup of the West is full. Everything of the West is full because we're so confident in our sciences. We're so confident in our theory. We're so confident in the nature of how the world works. This is why Eastern philosophy is, is such a powerful tool because it shows us a different paradigm that we have to let go of all that knowledge and that, oh, this is how the universe works. This is how gravity works. This is how the trees and the plant works. This is how historical happenings and economic models have, have worked. I would even claim that if Eastern ideals and philosophy that you practice those things in your life, I think your imagination can magnify it so much more. And you know that I always say that the imagination is the last frontier for changing and transforming the world. And especially the future. Being the future. Our cup is full. It's not just fooled with water. It's full with toxic ooze. <laughs> It's full with toxic ooze. I would even go as far to that. Yes, the innovations and the advances are great. But look at the state of the world. Look at the state of the world. I think what I love, uh, another idea is Satori. Satori is this sort of grand aha moment. I love this quote by Voltaire. And he says... There's one thing that is more powerful than all the warships and guns and weapons on the planet. It's an idea whose time has come. And I feel like Satori is at the nexus of that. Is this sort of inner revolution that is happening. And it's this aha moment of sudden realization. And that you are sort of simply observing yourself as it connects with this situation. So for me, like I always yearn to have these satoris because I think satoris is really the leaps and bounds and jumps in my moral, ethical imagination of frameworks. I think once we're in a space of non-being, I think we are we are able to tap in more in terms of the knowledge, the true knowledge, which is the knowledge that feeds the heart. The knowledge that feeds and syncretizes, integrates the mind. The knowledge that enables the body to breathe. Satori is, I think, at the center of that. And I think you should explore or even want to experience more aha moments. I think there's a thrill in learning and growing in this sort of like explosion of meaning that says i just get it um so i i really feel that in terms of like final thoughts i really feel that eastern philosophy is quintessential to the future with china rising as a major superpower with 
its influence on the continent of Africa, its influence in our economics across the world, its AI, with the Asian world rising in our creative mind and there's more equity and more advanced for Asian Americans in the US. I think for me, when I look at Eastern philosophies and the origins of Eastern philosophies and how they apply to my life, it's really taught me to live in harmony in a visceral way with the universe. Like a harmony that is spiritual, an harmony that gives and forges my faith, my belief, the certainty that the things that I feel and think and go after are true and real. It has given me the language to be able to see how I can harness my energy, how I can harness all of these different belief systems that are inhabiting inside of me and how I can use those belief systems and ideas and identities and frameworks to navigate and create the future. But profoundly also knowing that be the beyond and the below, this non-being is a space of pure potentiality. Lao Tzu says, accomplish but do not boast. Accomplish without show, accomplish without arrogance, accomplish without grabbing, accomplish without forcing. To hold, you must first open your hand, let go. We are attached to so much. This attachment to ourselves, our identity, the world and what we desire, that's what's causing the pain. I'll leave you with this. Lasu says, watch your thoughts for they become your words. Watch your words for they become your action. Watch your actions for they become your habits. Watch your habits for they become your character. Watch your character for it becomes your destiny. This is serious. I think that a lot of these ideas are so tough and are very difficult because you can understand it intellectually again, but how does it feel in your body? How does it, how does it feel in your heart? Like Eastern philosophies are so fundamental to claiming force an omnipotent force. I hope you enjoyed this and thanks for staying with me this entire time and I appreciate you. If you can go down and subscribe, uh, you'll be able to figure out and find out whenever I get, I release new episodes. Um, and also please support me on Patreon. That helps a lot as well because I'll be able to create more content 
with higher quality and bring you the podcast this and bring you this sort of these ideas that I believe can really impact the future of humanity on our planet. So thank you for tuning in for the Fabrice Garrier show. Until next time.